Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Stephen Fullwood. Stephen, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Uh, Stephen and I had a brief exchange earlier, which he uh, said that uh, the universe was uh, always asking him to dance, and uh, sometimes he just had to say no, which I thought was a, a very elegant way uh, to describe uh, the way that the world imposes itself <laughs> on us. So yes. uh, I appreciate I appreciated that very much. Nice. Um, so uh, we are today. We're going to talk about um, you know I, I, the topic started kind of abstract, and, and thankfully Stephen uh, had the good sense to to try and ask me to anchor it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to give you the I'm going to front load the topic, and I'm going to explain the context, and I'll let Stephen kind of just uh, lead us into it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the the t- the topic today is uh, the role of politics in art, uh, and really, I mean the question almost um, in a quantifiable sense. I, and I don't mean uh, in in numeracy. I don't mean with numbers, but I mean, can you have too much politics in art? Um, I think uh, the flip side of that would also be, can you? Uh, have too little politics in art. Mm. Um, and what prompted, I mean, this is something that you get all the time and sort of like, you know, let a poem be a poem, you know, identity, keep identity politics, you know, out of art. You know, you, you get there, this, this uh, argument, this consternation takes a variety of forms. But uh, what prompted uh, the topic for me today was I was reading uh, about uh, an exchange that Chenoa Chebe had with, uh, um, with Baldwin, with James Baldwin, around this idea that, you know, essentially Achebe's point was that the point of art is to unsettle and that Mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. you aren't unsettled, that probably means that you are someone that should be unsettled, that you are benefiting from uh, the existing kind of iniquities, right? The things Mm -hmm, that are unfair mm -hmm. in the world. Um, And the piece is a a great little meditation on um, uh, just the history and the diversity of writers and artists that have tackled and struggled with this question about the role of art and kind of the idea that, uh, you know, picking at some of the the low-hanging fruit, you know, uh, art should be for art's sake or art is entertainment or art is excess, you know, these kind of things. So, Stephen, I know that I, I kind of figured you'd, you'd mentioned it would be nice to have Seth in the conversation, and I agree, oh, yeah. but um, I know that you have a uh, you have a lot of experience and and time in your professional life working with um, artists who were intimately bound to the political arena, mm-hmm. uh, whether they wanted to be or not. Uh, so mm-hmm. I thought maybe you might uh, be a good foil to have that conversation with. I appreciate that. Um, didn't th- had um, was meditating on your question earlier and was thinking, well, there's no such thing as. Um, apolitical art. <laughs> um, it's created by people who are political, <laughs> um, who have a particular perspective. Now, whether that perspective finds its way directly, say I'm a po- say I'm a Republican and my art is Republican. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that simple. So when earlier when you were talking about whether you know if you're not unsettled by art, then you're probably benefit. You know, you're probably but I think that that's that's too flip of an answer to me. Um, I think that okay. there's something more more rich and engaging. Like I, th- I understand Baldwin's politic with it, and I understand as a writer what he meant. But I think that all art is political. It just depend depends on the seer, and maybe that's mm. what he was getting at on one end. But I don't think that it's solely a matter of who benefits or not. 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that that's the case. And so what it brought me back to was a conversation that Valerie Boyd, a writer in Georgia who wrote a biography of Zora Neale Hurston, a wonderful biography, mm-hmm. had with Toni Morrison. And Toni Mo- the occasion was, it was an interview for a book about Tony K. Bambara called Savoring the Salt. And Tony K. Bambara, okay. for those who don't know, was a wonderful, she called herself a cultural worker. She, um, although she published novels and short stories and was an amazing thinker, she also um, was a part of Scribe Video and, and was a documentarian. A very smart woman, a very thoughtful woman who felt like any argument that politics and art were separate made her laugh. And then she shoot you a look is what Morrison <laughs> said. You know, like, what are you talking about here? Because we're talking about what art gets shown in galleries, what art, you know, what street art is, what, how do you define street art? Just a whole mm-hmm. host of things. Who gets to be looked at? I mean, the last conversation, public conversation, I think that was um, national, both national and possibly international, about the two artists that the Obamas chose to, mm-hmm. to you know, to capture them. And they the were, portraiture. Right, the portrait uh, in the portrait gallery in D.C., how divergent those portraits were and the mm-hmm. type of artist that they chose. Mm-hmm. So Kehinde Wiley, and I apologize, but the woman's name, the artist who um, painted Michelle Obama, her name escapes me, but they, they both have very strong politics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and of course there were detractors, there were people who loved it. I was sort of in between. It was less that they had broken tradition or just that I didn't really care for the art. So, um, but... But to get back to the point about art, politics and art, they're intertwined to me. They're they're um, always together. But it's who's looking, and who's yeah. like who's you know. What were you thinking about this? Yeah, no, no. I actually I, I appreciate it. the thing is I I basically a hundred percent agree with that. So that's going to be a boring conversation. So I'm going <laughs> to actually I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to come at it with a slightly different question because okay. I, everything you just said I am in total agreement with. I think. Uh, I think it's a misguided question uh, mm. that codes a lot of presuppositions to try and pull politics out of art in that way. So, but mm-hmm. I I'll, let me let me try and ask it a different way, okay. and see if we can get at something productive with it. Um, okay. Can can art be too preoccupied with its politics to be uh, potent? Hmm. So in this in this instance, I'm thinking of something like, okay, um, you know, where you kind of front load, like you know, this is this is common in the in the uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s in the United States with what quote unquote communist art, or okay. uh, you know, oftentimes we we won't we won't even want to call it art; we'll want to call it propaganda, right? So right. we mm-hmm. we like to rebrand it as something else. <laughs> um, I think propaganda but, art is art that you don't agree with, or art that, that you're unsettled that, that, by. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that yeah, that's exactly right. right. So, but but at the same time, we want to. I mean, I at least very like tenaciously want to hold to my ability to condemn what I would call propaganda, like you know, so mm-hmm. Nazi Germany, the recasting of of Jews mm-hmm. as animals or cattle, oh, um, and certainly similar uh, aspects in in uh, in communist Russia, and the former. I'm sorry, f- uh, former Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and no doubt examples in the United States as well, probably a very long list. Very. So mm-hmm. I, when it comes to rebranding artist propaganda, I don't want to let go of my ability to do that with my, with at the same time owning 
the the side of the argument that accepts that we are these are these are basically different political or social positions. So I want to mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. basically I want to say let me I'll ask you is there a way for us to thread that needle in a way to say that so politics is clearly a part of it but mm-hmm. when it is when it is too deeply satur- saturated with the political message mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it somehow impedes um, it's more libertine spirit or something along those lines. Wow. Okay. So you, I, so the saturation part is the one that's really getting to me because like, I want taking your position. I think I want it all to, I want to, but, but, but let me say why I want it. I want it because Mm. I want, I think that all art is important regardless if I agree with it or not. My critique of it, like your critique of it, would be to have the right to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like for too long, and probably we still do it to some degree, is that where it's the um, dispossessed or a certain cultural cultural group that doesn't have voice mm-hmm. or does doesn't have access to um, the galleries or the museums that you know where we collect the creme de la creme, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to Propaganda and art, I, I think it's really critical because I'm, I'm thinking about, for example, and I guess I'm sort of slightly deviating to archives when it comes to that. When okay. I think of posters of black, you know, portraying black men, black men are mm-hmm. going to go rape your um, your Chinese women mm-hmm. or your, your Japanese mm-hmm. women. And then also during the internment here in the U.S., the the, the different sort of leaflets that were, you know, put around the neighborhoods and stuff to so that Japanese folks would be, you know, pushed into these internment camps. This is a form of art. It's a form of pro, um, propaganda, but it needs to be a part of our, our collective memory. And mm-hmm. I think that art is less, is harder to hold in the sense, the, the sort of um, fine arts, because we think of them less as political sometimes than we do say of collecting someone's papers, say of a Nazi sympathizer in the U S well, I want those papers mm-hmm. to be collected too. I want mm-hmm. the KKK. I remember there was up for auction that I went to once. There was a a doctor's, uh, he was a member of the KKK. It was a doctor in the South mm-hmm. who had a number of addresses with the names of not only just the people's names, but what the, the occupations. And it was a very um, interesting sort of document, but it was important for us to remember that cooks and um shoe shiners and people who own the pharmacy that these people all were part of this movement or seem to be mm-hmm. at the very least mm-hmm. that stuff mm-hmm. needs to be kept mm-hmm. and so i feel the same way about propaganda and i mean propaganda art if it's saturated with the message your right is to say it doesn't appeal to you um and you ne- you didn't go far enough for me in one point because i wanted you to say something about whether or not we should collect it and i jumped to that or that it should be um less regarded than art that you do like so mm-hmm. I wanted you to kind of comment on that. So, okay, so that's a very good. So I, okay, so parsing it that way. So as far as collection goes, to, to me, that it kind of moves into the realm of history. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. save as much as you can possibly save to mm-hmm. try and track what is ultimately untrackable, which is, you know, right. kind of the fading right. present moment. So so I, I collect collect it all, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm in favor of that. I, I guess I'm probably saying something more the long, along the lines of in our current cultural moment, in mm-hmm, any mm-hmm. current cultural moment, in the present, in what is sort of capturing the imagination and what gets circulated and communicated and talked about, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
is the how do we hold on to our ability to call, you know, like bullshit or like right. call propaganda or call, uh, oh, well, you know, that's really what you're doing is you're just kind of recapitulating, you know, mm-hmm. oh, white absolutely. supremacy or you're recapitulating uh, misogyny or hegemony. And there's all kind of art that does that, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Uh, plenty of it. And so, but at the same time, I want I guess, I guess this is what I want. This is what I want. And you can, t- you can disabuse okay. me of this. So what I want <laughs> is I want to be able to say that there really is something universal about what sensitive uh, men and women that, and by sensitive I mean sensitive to the suffering of themselves and others, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, the, that, that, there is a, that there is a universal thread in art that taps that sensitivity to the suffering of ourselves and others. And that that, and that, that, that sensitivity... Mm-hmm. is sort of takes up a metaphysical position before politics that before like before and I don't mean and I don't mean that it can be extracted from politics you can't do that right so as soon as you start to interact with other human beings that's mm-hmm. political right Absolutely. you've you've got you've got to sanction you know advocate for yourself and all so I, I don't want to I'm not saying there's some pure realm in which it exists but that but, oh, oh you go ahead jump in please okay so the so you want some s- standard or some way of a critiquing or pushing to the side um, in terms of this kind of art. You want some way to to call bullshit on it and to also make sure that it's not, it doesn't stand toe-to-toe with a, a Rembrandt or something else. Is that what you mean? Yeah, so I want to be, I, I guess I want to, I guess what I want to ask, which I didn't know until we started this conversation, is there a way for us as, you know, kind of post-post-colonial intellectuals, post-post-structuralist intellectuals, mm-hmm. post-critical theory intellectuals, is there a way for us to find a common universal thread? I mean, and universal is a bad word in a lot of intellectual circles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there a way for us to find a common thread in art between, say, someone like Tony K. Bambara and Hem- and Ernest Hemingway, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and or you know, fill in the blank with painters, musicians, poets. I, I, don't, I don't really care what the art form is mm-hmm. um, that allows us to hold on uh, fiercely to political injustices and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to call out the way certain groups are. Um, used on the bottom side of the pyramid to, you know, to kind of hold up the top end of the pyramid. Is there a way for us to hold on to that Mm -hmm. and still claim some sort of universal position in, in relation to art criticism? So I'm thinking about a rubric. That's just what I was thinking about. And I say, Mm. well, what I really at the bottom of it for me is education. So it's less about the art. It's how we educate people to look at art and, and to create an environment where folks really have better tools and more open minds to see stuff. I think that we can still hold on to um, amazing pieces of art that aren't discarded or utilized in ways that aren't great. Um, but I think that that it's hard to, because one man's propaganda obviously is not someone else's propaganda. And I don't think that, it's devoid of, or shouldn't be devoid of, or it shouldn't avoid 
criticism, heavy criticism, that's not solely the um, the domain of art critics or those rarefied folks that do that work. It should be in the communities. And in some ways it is. I've actually seen different kinds of communities start to, or have been doing community works where they actually take folks to the museum and then they talk about the art mm. or they talk about, mm -hmm. you know, say the Obama's um, portraits and what do they mean to us? You know, what do they mean to the common person? These sorts of things. I think the tools need to be sharpened and put in the hands of regular folks who may or may not be interested. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's, do you think that, that we could say that, uh, what appeals? So I'm thinking about, um, uh, you know, what appeals to us in mm. in the artwork that appeals to us is something that that calls us forth as individuals okay and and that and call and and calls to us right and 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 beckons us towards it towards that that work right and mm -hmm. and that and and that that which calls to us is something singular and not amenable to um propaganda or group identity that if 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 the if the art is serves the sole purpose of reifying the group right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Reif, reifying the tribe if that's its if that's its primary objective mm -hmm. that that art that does that deserves the moniker of propaganda and should mm -hmm. not be held in the same regard as art that calls to us as individuals like okay. so you let me keep going so keep, let me, yes, yeah and let me and, and, and let me ask you and i'll try i'll bring it back to work that i know you're you're intimately familiar with so joseph beam yes so i mean mm -hmm. the 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 poet that now we've talked about this previously on the show uh his work only got published posthumously yes as a lot of his uh, a lot of his notebooks he didn't actually uh release during his lifetime is that correct well so before he passed, he was more of an editor than a poet, and mm -hmm. he was an essayist and a journalist. So mm -hmm. a lot of Joe's stuff was published during his lifetime. The book he was working on before he died was published posthumously, and the book that Charles Stevens and I co-edited to celebrate Joseph Beam, we um, drew upon the experiences of people who knew him, who had published in In the Life and Brother to Brother, its sequel, but also for for Joe, it, the politics of his work in terms of he was working with the National Coalition of Black Lesbians and Gays as the editor of their um, organ, which is called Blackout, which was their um, their mm -hmm. journal. Joe's politics were not were very similar to a lot of the people that I admire who stayed in the community, worked within their communities, and made sure that books were in the hands of people who were in laundromats or like mm. I think Barbara Smith in the interview I did with her for the book said that Joe was very concerned about people who weren't in the streets, you know, you know, um, organizing or doing other things. He would go to laundromats and talk to women about their concerns. Mm. Just folks that, mm -hmm. again, that did, don't have the same sort of um, draw to or stakes in the art game or the politics game. They were simply folks day to day, you know, the proletariat, so to speak. Um, and so, I think when I think it's such a it's such a beautiful image, actually. The mm -hmm. this you know someone sort of the, someone advocating for 
um, these refined things of beauty, like kind of knocking on the door of laundromats to to go in and agitate mm-hmm. for and yeah. and speak to people just about their experiences. Um, and, and I think you'll find that a lot in New York City, in San Francisco, and a number of other places we're organizing. They've, it's a lot more thoughtful. It's not simply organizing and we're going to do this and then it disappears until the next um, atrocious act appears that people are like, he, you know, with, for example, Third World Newsreel is a distribution company that has um, for the last 50 years produced um, films on a variety of levels, both mm-hmm. within from, from the perspective of black and brown people. It's third cinema, um, which which is, you know, is looking at the concerns of the folks who are impacted by certain issues. It's their point of view, um, dealing with racism or economic um, disparities and so forth. And mm-hmm. it started in Latin America. So Third World Newsreel has been doing this for a while. And they continue to do free forms for people in the community for them mm-hmm. to come and just look at movies or to talk with someone about learning how to make films. Similarly with Scribe Video in um, Philadelphia, where... Tony, Tony K. Bombardo was helping folks in the community learn how to use a camera <laughs> mm-hmm. to record their own stories. And so mm-hmm. being, being empowered to tell your own story or to know that your story matters, I think, is very political and very important. The point I want to get back to with you, though, and your question, I think the delineation of the, the art that speaks of people and the art that speaks of, to use your term, tribal, tribalism, th- it's, it really de- it depends on who's looking at it. You know, there are some people who are, for, for better or for worse, are always going to identify with their racial identity, with their sexual identity, with their gender, religious affiliation, and so forth. And what are those eyes? I, I know that I've been with people where we've seen different things based on mm. what we advocate for and what we believe and what just mm-hmm. resonates with us. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know if there could be a clear delineation. I don't know if you're calling for that, but I think that the more more responsibility needs to be made available, but also not av- made available, but just opened up so that everyone has a right to look at something and critique it, and not in a YouTube sort of cussing you out mm-hmm. <laughs> in the comment mm-hmm. section mm-hmm. way, but mm-hmm. see how certain works of art really do impact their their life if they saw, you know. Nazi propaganda that's generally a a signifier for a lot of people. Um, It loses its resonance sometimes for subsequent generations who didn't have to live through or talk to about or weren't terrorized by it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they don't have the political hooks that you, you know, just kind of hang their hats on. Yeah. So it's hard generationally. It's hard class-wise. It's hard just in general interest, what people are interested in, in doing. But I definitely feel like on the ground level where I think a lot of change, if not all change happens in um, society, there needs to be more education about those kinds of artistic, um, those, those works of art and what they represent and then have those community um, conversations, which I don't think, are, I think they're easier to have now in a way. I think people mm-hmm. always say that people are, are saying, currently saying that because we are in the age of the internet, people are constantly on their phones and, but I do think that there is a hunger for people to talk to each other and to be in communities and to fight for clean water and Flint. And so these things have drawn people together and they're using. So this, yeah. sorry, I'm kind of going off a bit. No, you're, you, no you're actually not at all. I, uh, no, I don't think you're going off at all. I think you're trying to help me find the thread of, of, what, I'm, of yeah. what I'm trying to, to say, which I appreciate. The, mm-hmm. I, I'll try and give a concrete example. Um, so one of the areas where I 
feel like there's a great deal of miscommunication around. Um, so now we're we're treading into activism, but you know, mm-hmm. politics, art, you know, it's it's kind of uh, obviously it's inextricably bound, which is what we're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, something like the Black Lives Matter movement, and then you like you get this like pushback, all lives matter, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, so the, the I feel like the point of a movement like Black Lives Matter, or the point of you know something like go tell it on the mountain or any any art that is is clearly inextricably bound with its politics or politics that produces what might be considered art right mm-hmm. so black lives matter is ultimately you know sort of what do they say a cry de cour to to see the group as individuals, right? So, so mm-hmm. in order to not read black bodies as simply black bodies, but to read them as people, to read these people as individuals, and and the well, that's the aim the, of good art. That would be yeah, the, yeah, for me. It yes, was the aim of good art, right? Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. That that and that's the core of what of what I'm gesturing towards. Like that, mm-hmm. at a fundamental level, what's being asked for in these movements is to be seen oddly enough is not a movement right to to mm-hmm. be, for the members of black lives matter ultimately now not all the people that participate but i'm saying like kind of the the underlying spirit of it is to not be seen as a black life matter or not not to be seen as black lives but to be seen as individuals and not be read as as this sort of monolithic group right well, that's... because that's that's what white that's what that's white hegemony, right? So white mm-hmm, hegemony mm-hmm. is to read groups as particular ways. Well, and that's, that's part sorry, of it though. That's part of it. Part of it is the um the the very reasonable, <laughs> you know, um the very reasonable treat us like humans because we are humans, you know, mm-hmm. black lives matter. Um, and implicit in that is that all lives matter, but not the way in which people have used that phrase. All lives, yeah. If all lives did matter, we would not have to say black lives matter. That's yeah. the first thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, exactly. Yeah, that's so. Let th- me f- finish the, mm-hmm. and then and then you can jump in. So that yes, exactly that, and the way that the way that these movements get perverted or shaped or. Mm redrawn in the collective imagination Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is by short-circuiting that first necessary move right oh absolutely so it's 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 to say oh well all lives as as you just said like so all lives matter so but is is to completely short-circuit the first move that makes the movement necessary which is that Mm -hmm. you're reading all of these bodies the same way right yeah you're completely right and so Okay, so the two things. The first thing is that it's Black Lives Matter, and it's and it's a call for just being treated like a human, which I think mm-hmm. is still a low standard based on what we have currently come to understand <laughs> in terms of humanity. The yeah, other part enough. of it is because it's a lack of imagination about really what a good life is. We still think mm-hmm. a good life is are some very sort of um, capitalist shaped, you know, have a car, you know have a house, these sorts of things, when life Mm -hmm. is so much larger than that. The second part of it for me is that when you we talk about humanity, like we're still very young in this process to, like I don't want to walk into a room and be stripped of my humanity 
based on what it is that I'm wearing. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I should be able mm-hmm. to wear what I want. And I think mm-hmm. the first thought I had when I was younger was when I went to church and I was, you know, so why are people dressing up to go to church if they, they believe in God? Doesn't God just accept you as you are? <laughs> you know, the, he doesn't, see, doesn't he see you like when you're at home? Right, when you're the, not yeah. so dressed up. And right. so, but, I, but, but what you said about the first sort of cry, um, well, all lives matter, not just black lives, all lives matter. Well, that's the empire. That's the imp- empirical reflex to sort of pull you back in. Right. Well, what are you guys talking about? Well, you know, everyone has, you know, equal rights. Obama was our president. There are all these mm-hmm. different ways of sort of denying injustice that's that's really built into the empirical model. Um, mm-hmm. It's not there to remember you. It's or <laughs> you and you're, you're there. Mm-hmm. It's you're on an amnesia am, amnesiatic mission, you know, when it <laughs> comes to being a, a part. Not and it's funny because I was going to say whites, but it's not even white ness in a way because there are whites who are very very <laughs> disenchanted and dis- and abused by the notion of whiteness um mm-hmm. it's something a little more sinister i think um which is what happened today i think supreme court five to four voted on mm. you, you about the workers right yeah, to, not being able yeah. to collectively get together and you know yeah and so that's that's that feels more about i mean it's obviously economic but it's a, yet another way to separate people. It's another way to sort of do that. And so while we're fighting about black and white and, and trans rights and this sort of thing, which are all very important, we're, we also need to pay attention to that because that's yet something else that's sort of separating people. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting off again, I'm going off again, but I'm coming back to this empirical thing where it's the reflex. The re, it doesn't surprise me at any sort of cry out for, um, and into police brutality would end up with there are good police officers, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and or that, you know, the recent shooting, like the shooting, it's almost become, you know, our thoughts and prayers, a little bit of an argument. Maybe someone suggests some sort of legislation and then we go we go dark again until the mm-hmm. next shooting. Mm-hmm. And so I think there needs there's something. So I want to read something very briefly that relates to what we're talking about here. And it's a quote by a woman named Maud Sut- Salter, who is a mm-hmm. who was a um, of Ghanaian and Scottish descent. She's a wonderful photographer and political mm-hmm. activist, mm-hmm. who um, who I really adore. And so what she said was, and I think this is something that relates to how we how we're how it stops us from what we stop thinking. So she's talking about photographs here. Mm -hmm. I feel that we've been surrounded by photographic images. We engage with them and newspapers and magazines on billboards. We read film, we read television images. And so it's a very immediate process in terms of its production. And it's a very immediate process in terms of catching the viewer's attention from the very first moment. But obviously the challenge is then to get beyond that superficial gaze, to convert that gaze into a more concentrated gaze. And so the reason why I read that was because when we think about Black Lives Matter, it's more than just obviously black people out there in the streets with very good reasons to say there's injustice and we need to address this. The underlying part of it, that sustained gaze is what we need to really move into and that sustained sort of interest in why so much, why is there so much um, injustice in the world or in this particular mm-hmm. community with these kind of people? These are the mm-hmm. things I think people are doing more of or hopefully doing more of in that work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's hard to get beyond um, that superficial gaze. It's really hard to get mm-hmm. beyond that when, it, when we're talking about art and, and propaganda and, and, you know, just evil things. You know, we want, you know, our, our museum's going to collect memes, for example. It's a sure. very interesting moment <laughs> where memes mm-hmm. are 
very political, very funny at times, very scathing. Sometimes they do the work of an article in the New Yorker, just, you know, the image itself, you know, that might be a bit mm-hmm. much, but, but I do like, <laughs> I do like memes. I think that they um, tell you something that's on the mind of the people, the repetition in which they use on people's social media, it has currency for them. Will museums think that it's a lower form of art? I, I, I beg to differ. I think it's very important. Yeah, so we're we're almost out of time, but I actually, I, in some ways, I feel like our conversation was kind of a, a useful prolegemina for me to to kind of come up with a slightly more coherent approach on the topic mm. because I think you brought up a couple of really, um, I mean, sort of critical questions around the idea of how communities, small mm. communities, larger communities, you know, sizes in between are using art. How is art mm-hmm. being used within these communities? How is art being used to speak back to larger injustices? How is the larger system using art mm-hmm. or what we might call propaganda or want to call propaganda, right. using it to spit back at those those kind mm-hmm. of those peripheral movements. Mm-hmm. So what I uh, I'm going to I'm going to let you have the last word but I, I think maybe <laughs> we this is something I think something to to revisit um, uh, next week with Seth or then three of us because mm-hmm. there are I think I I think I can clarify a few questions okay. that I think might be interesting to hopefully uh, interesting to some of our listeners but uh, I'll leave it with you. Well I appreciate that last word. Um so I th- I wanted to talk briefly very briefly about um Portia de Rossi, who is an mm. actress on Arrested Development. I think she did mm-hmm. Scandal for a while. Mm-hmm. And she was on Alan McBeal. So she writes a really amazing book called Unbearable Lightness. And it tracks how she became an artist. I mean, how she became an artist, or an actress specifically, and her issues with eating. So she had bulimia, and she was always throwing up and always exercising. And basically, she lost her mind. And this book is a wonderful chronicle of that. Mm. So when it comes to art, so she's a part of a group now that is interested and taking out the middleman, so to speak. And the name of the group is called, uh, let's see, the name of the group is General Art, General Public. And mm-hmm. what it does, it's a way to sort of give three, 3D reproductions of your art. And she's sort of, inter- she would be the interface between street artists and people who don't want to go to museums. Mm-hmm. But the model that she has still really, um, it's still really, <laughs> um, Underprivileges the artist. The artist gets five percent of you know five five percent. Ninety five percent. That's, that's yeah, worse than Uber. Like I by was a hoping mile. that she would have read the article, but it's really it's pretty terrible. But I was wondering. I said I'm going to read a few more articles about it. But the reason why I bring it up is because I think that there are a number of ways in which we can get art to people and vice versa and all that. Five. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> terrible. And I think. The- one of the commentators was thinking, well, maybe she's thinking about that one-time commission or, you know, or the royalties that the one-time commissions you get from clothes and other kinds of merchandise. And maybe that would work in that way, depending on how high it is, right? Mm. But that for $1,000, um, notwithstanding general public's commission, it, would, it could be anywhere, just $50 on a piece of your art. And so I find that to be a bit troubling if if if, if a bit troubling i okay so I, yeah i have to stop i have, putting bit I have the article i have the articles uh, up i actually hadn't read them yet because i was running behind today but so this mm. will be something to add to the mix so i i find that number appalling if that i mean there if there if, are no other mitigating uh, bits of information yeah that 
that is an alarming uh yeah model yeah and these alleged these would be reproductions um and but i remember when i first heard about it i was like this would be interesting the interesting way of doing this um of getting art out into for people who will never step in step a foot in a gallery or museum or wherever to buy art and but yeah the artist still suffers and so I'm just around a lot of artists who could definitely use a meal and definitely use rent. And so I was a bit troubled by I was troubled by it and I wanted to talk about it today. So but that's it. We just need to do better. Uh, okay. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Very okay. general, well, we need to do better. Well, I think I, I, I we uh I hope the listeners will be somewhat patient with the direction of the conversation. I actually think we've we've come up with a couple of useful areas to mine and so next week and the in the week after, uh we can we can continue the conversation. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks for joining me, Steve. Thank you.